I do want to thank Sam for being here and leading us. Um, such a good friend, faithful brother in my life. Um, some of you know this, but uh, our church uh, is just a, not quite yet 10 years old. And uh, so about 10 years ago, or maybe actually closer to 11 years now, uh, we're getting old, Sam. Uh, I met Sam, and uh, it's his friendship. Um, he and his family have been a part of the Parks Church, our sister church down in McKinney. Um, and we're so much, uh, I mean, the, the, the launch of this church owes so much to Sam, that church's friendship, and specifically um, him um, just as a dear friend. And so I just want to honor him and thank him for leading us this morning and being here to encourage us um, to remember who we are in Christ and what a gift that is to remember that this morning. Um, I also do want to apologize uh, from the very get-go. Uh, I expected a few of you had a little bit of a hard time getting in our parking lot and dropping off littles. Um, what happens is we have a real condensed window between our services, and if I go too long, then the whole thing gets a little bit off. And so this is why uh, this is my sign, train wreck trail. So I, re I refer to myself so often as a train wreck because I do things like that. I lose track of the clock. And so Carl and Levi are going to do uh, help me help you by staying a little closer on time. Uh, that being said, we are going to cover 69 verses in the book of Acts this morning. <laughs> Um, I'm not joking about that. We are going to cover quite a journey together, which is, explains a little bit why I ended up a little long. But um, uh, in the midst, I grabbed a cup of coffee, a little bit of energy, um, and so I'm just going to encourage you to buckle up. We're going to go pretty fast um, uh, through this um, as we look and pick up in the middle of Acts chapter 6 and uh, finish all the way through Acts chapter 7. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, by the way, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church and just so grateful um, to just be a part, to see you all, to worship together uh, with you. Before we get to Acts 6 and the, the end of 6 and, and Stephen's response to who he is, and we're going to see essentially these two characters. We're going to see Stephen as the main character of our text this morning, and he is confronting or dealing with accusations that comes from a group of people who have... What we just saying would not be true. They have known all that there is to know about God, and this actually might describe some of us in the room. A lot of knowledge about God, a lot of understanding of history, and, and, and even knowledge of his word, but they had missed who God truly was, and they had missed what God was doing in the world. Stephen was a friend of God. And because of that, he was able to live out what we're going to see explained to us and, and described to us. But in order for us to understand fully Stephen's response and all that God is doing here, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a review. And so if you're a guest with us, you showed up on a great day because we're going to really quickly survey through the first six chapters of what has happened in the book of Acts. Um, and so this book, again, is called Acts. Sometimes a longer version, Acts of the Apostles, and some others might even describe it as the Acts of Jesus or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That is, God is at work doing things. And the reason that we study this book, the reason it's such an encouragement to us today, is because the same God, the same Holy Spirit that we see and we're reading about and we're seeing all that he's doing in, its, uh, in the midst of these people who lived real lives in a real time in history, that same Holy Spirit is at work today. That same Holy Spirit will be at work this week as we share the gospel with hundreds of kids, we hope, and the Holy Spirit bringing them from life to death and adding to our number the kingdom of God here in our own community. We're going to see that. We're going to see that as Stephen, a man full of grace and power, lives out who God has called him to be, understanding who he is. But these acts have been happening and continue to happen. And 2,000 years after this story occurred, we are still receiving the benefits of it. 
So very quickly, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus has resurrected from the grave. He comes to the disciples, and the disciples ask him, is now the time when you will restore the kingdom of God? They understand Jesus taught all about the kingdom of God. You might remember you've been with us for a little bit of time in Mark and in Matthew, both times in Jesus' first sermon or the first public words of his public ministry. He says, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. He announces that the kingdom is significant, and it's what matters. It's all about the kingdom. Well, the disciples, he's been resurrected. They saw him die. They thought, okay, God's kingdom is now sort of defunct. I guess that was a false prophet. They didn't understand what was happening. They ask him, now that he is alive, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom? He says, you don't understand what I'm doing. Now you're not going to understand that, but here's what I will promise you, Acts 1.8. And you will receive my power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he tells them there, he makes a promise that the Holy Spirit's going to come and the Holy Spirit's gonna fill them with his power so that they can be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. If we skip ahead then to Acts 2, verses three through five, this is the time of Pentecost. And so at Pentecost, God comes down and this dwelling with man is gonna be a very key theme and this is what Stephen is really going to tie back to. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came. God incarnate in, excuse me, indwelling his people. Incarnate was Jesus coming. When he left, he sent his spirit to indwell every believer. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ is filled with his spirit so that, guess what happened? There was all these people in the city at Pentecost. Look, notice what it says. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, notice this, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Luke records 15 different geographic places that all of these people, all of these Jews had come back to Jerusalem. And this is when Pentecost comes, God comes and fills them with his spirit. So when they go back, the world is already beginning to be reached by God through the power of his Holy Spirit. In, verses, uh, in verse 41 of chapter 2, a lot of work happens and we see this testimony of what the Holy Spirit does. So those who received his word and were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls in Jerusalem at Pentecost from all over the world receive the Holy Spirit to be used by God to then go and be witnesses. Peter and John then began discipling these and teaching them and there's healing that has happened. We studied a lot of the events that occurred and ultimately in chapter four, we see sort of the structure of the church beginning to come together as they're sharing their resources and leaning on one another, selling land, providing. We saw a rebuke of that, of course, in chapter five. And if we fast forward down to the middle of uh, chapter five, verse 14, again, we see this testimony of the explosive growth, the work of the Holy Spirit. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitude of both men and women. Six, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, if we swing around a little bit further. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected for daily distribution. So we've seen this growth, multitude upon multitude of people in Jerusalem are being saved. The Holy Spirit is giving them power to testify to the work of Jesus. Last week, we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, where now we see this different ethnic group, the Hellenistic Jews, still Jew, still Israelites who had been dispersed all over the land. Their sort of elderly were there and their widows were not being fed. They weren't able to receive their daily distribution. And so because of that, there's a complaint that arises. 
So we see the gospel go from just Jerusalem, the confines of the geographic Jerusalem, and also the confines of the Aramaic-speaking Jews, to now we get out to the Hellenistic Jews or the Greek-speaking Jews. It's a different community is reached. If we go all the way to the end of Acts chapter, or the beginning of Acts chapter 8, where we're going to end this morning, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do you remember what Jesus' promise was, Acts 1.8? The inverse of that? Not Acts 1.8, but Acts 8.1 says that's what happened. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. God tells us, as we are going to look closely at this story of Stephen, that it's through the persecution of Stephen, his people, through the persecution of the church, that, the, that God is going to accomplish his mission that he promised all the way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And that promise is still continuing today. We are the recipients of the ends of the earth. We're going to get to Paul in a few chapters from now where Gentiles are grafted in. And I can promise you, if the Jews that resided, the, the, the Aramaic-speaking Jews were shocked that Hellenistic Jews would be a part of the body of Christ and be welcomed in and be served, they will be amazed when Gentiles come in. That's going to rock their world. They're not going to know what to do with that. And so we see this big story of what God is doing. And that matters because we are a part, again, of that story. God is accomplishing his purpose of establishing his kingdom. The kingdom is what matters. No longer just a small group, a sect, a, a, a minority group of Jewish people who had put their faith in this Messiah. Now, this Messiah was known, beginning to be known around the world. And his disciples, he was doing exactly what he intended to do. The beautiful thing for me and the encouragement thing for me as a pastor, I'll just tell you this, is this is all the work of God. There were faithful people who did their parts, but this is the work of God to disperse the people and take his testimony, take his story to the world. So as we pick up in the middle of Acts chapter 6, Stephen, if you remember last week, if you were with us, Stephen is one of the men that was appointed by the Hellenistic Jews to take care of their widows. He would have been like the other seven that were chosen, or six that were chosen with him. He would have been known as, hey, I know our widows, I'll take care of them. And so they call him out, and the only the requirement that was given was that he be a man of good repute, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. Stephen has declared that, and he's appointed to go and serve the tables and care for the widows of his community. But as that happened, something else began to take place. And so if you're able, I'm going to read just a small portion of our 69 verses this morning. So don't worry, you're not going to stand this whole time. Um, if you're able to stand with me as I read from Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Syrians and the Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. If you don't remember this from last week, remember this is one of the defining things that said this was a separate community from the Aramaic-speaking Jews. They had their own synagogue, their own place of worship. They were a separate community, which is why they needed this care. So we see the list of them. Verse 10, but they could not withstand wisdom, the, the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witness who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the ho this holy place and the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Jesus, we thank you that you have established your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you that you have invited us to be a part of that. We thank you that we can read and hear the testimony of our brother Stephen, who is with you even now. I pray that this testimony of his life, of his words, of his boldness, of his strength, of his assurance of who you were and what you had done for him, I pray that we would all possess that this morning. May that be so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we dive into this deeper section or story of Stephen, notice what it says of Stephen's character. Verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is set apart to serve his community, and it's because of his character that had preceded him, but that character continued to be on display. He was full of grace and of power. Do you remember last week how we talked about these men that were chosen to serve the widows weren't taking some unimportant role? Sometimes when we read in our Bibles, they were chosen to serve tables. Many of us sort of take this thing, well, there's, the apostles are doing this thing, preaching the word. Stephen and the, the deacons now are serving the tables. These are sort of lesser tasks. These are more unimportant tasks. But Stephen teaches us that there is no unimportant task in the work of the kingdom. He was a man full of grace and power. And we're going to see, although, yes, he was called to use his gifting to serve tables, to care for the widows. That was what he was called to do. He was also a man who knew Jesus intimately, was a friend of Jesus, as we would have seen the song this morning. He knew him and there was a closeness in the relationship with him. He was full of grace and power. Friends, let this just be an encouragement to any one of you who think there's some unimportant role in the work of the kingdom. There is no unimportant role in the work of the kingdom. Each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been filled with the Spirit and gifted in such a way to use those gifts as we talked extensively about last week. You know, as I look around this stage, and I know it looks a little crazy, by the way, if you're joining online, yes, I'm coming to you from Colorado, just bringing all the cool weather with me, all right? And so... um, as I look around and I see all of these decorations and the things, and they maybe to some of us could look silly or they're, why, why do we have this on our stage? Here's one of the realities that I know is to be true. There's going to be a mom or a dad who's going to walk in this building tomorrow to drop their child off without really any understanding of much about who we are, perhaps just looking for a little bit of babysitting for the evening, not really interested in what we do, not knowing Jesus, and they're going to walk into this building. They're going to see all of the detail that someone took time to build a gondola for their child to feel safe, to feel encouraged, to get excited about the stories that we're going to talk about, for the kids team to do all they're going to do, and they're going to recognize that, yes, there is something that this church, these people care for me through some decorations, through serving in the parking lot and all of the heat and all of that. They're going to understand that these people care about me. They want to meet me where I am. There's a testimony that comes with that. So lest you think that there's something insignificant to a backdrop. No, there's not. Every piece of it has an important role. And Stephen was one, a man who saw his role and understand and used his gift to serve the tables of the widows, but also, as we would clearly see, was filled with wisdom and a knowledge of Christ that gave him the ability to be known as a man filled with grace and power. And I'll just tell you right now, the end of the story, I want to be known as a man full of grace and of power. 
If you want me to, what I want to leave behind, a man who was full of grace, the love of Christ, understood the grace that he had received and freely and generously imparted that grace to anyone and everyone he met. And yet bold and strong in the power of Christ, not in my strength, not in what I can do, but in what Christ is doing in me and not willing to back down from that. Full of grace and power, that comes from an intimacy with Jesus and that's what Stephen possessed. He was full of grace and power. And they, it says of him in verse 10, that when he spoke, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't, they couldn't push back against him. There was plenty of arguments that were gonna be made against him, but they couldn't respond because what he said was so clearly wise. It was so clearly the truth. He understood these things. Well, what was the accusation made against Stephen? What was the charge against him? Well, if we look at the beginning, or excuse me, the middle of, of this text that I just read for you, for, for you in verse 11, I am able to speak, I promise. We see the charge. They secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Moses, revered by the Jews as the deliverer, even though the forefathers, as Stephen will clearly illustrate for them, they sort of didn't really follow Moses very well, uh, rebuked Moses, tried to throw him off all the time. But Moses, he is speaking against Moses. He was charged with blasphemy. Clearly, G Stephen wasn't speaking blasphemous words. He wasn't speaking against God or speaking against Moses. But like his savior before him, just like Jesus, Stephen is accused. And his crime ultimately was simply being a Christian. He was accused and his crime was believing in who Jesus was putting his faith in Jesus and living out that calling, living out the freedom, as we sing, of worshiping God. This is what Stephen was accused of. And in chapter 7, 1 through 55 of chapter 7, is Stephen's response, excuse me, 53. Verses 1 through 53 is Stephen responding to these accusations against him. Now, before you get any more nervous, I'm not going to read all through 1 through 59, all right? But I do want to encourage you to take some time to read this text this afternoon. Take some time, either perhaps tomorrow morning, whenever you have some moment early in this week, read this text thoroughly. I'm going to give you a survey of it right now as we sort of work our way through for the sake of time. The first thing that we see in Stephen's response is how he addresses the crowd. The high priest, they ask him, are these things so in uh, chapter 7, verse 1? And Stephen says, brothers and fathers, hear me. He addresses them as brothers and fathers. These are people who are going to threaten him, and he may or may not know at this moment in time, but are going to ultimately kill him for what he says. And he addresses them with grace, again, and power, as he calls them brothers as fellow Jews. And he addresses the more senior officials of the religious class of the day as fathers, those who are authorities over us. He addresses them with respect. He says, brothers and fathers, the, glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And so he immediately goes back to the very beginning of their time in history, all right? the very beginning. And what Stephen alludes to through this first section is that God makes promises and God always delivers on those promises. God makes promises and God delivers on those promises. Abraham's descendants would have been sojourners. They were wanderers in the land for some 400 years. 
and they would be delivered from judgment through God's providence and through his care. And they would come and worship in a place. And this is what Stephen alludes to in verses 6 and 7. Notice what he says, and God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But notice, but, but, verse 7, but I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. God had made a promise to Abraham. And Stephen and all of those that were standing with him in that moment had been the recipients of that promise and they were literally standing in the place that had been promised by God. God had delivered on that promise and they knew that. But see, the leaders of the day, those who are confronting Stephen and accusing him, they had mistaken all of these promises to be a physical nature, something that they had to house a land, that it was about the specific geographic. But what God was saying to this, in this promise of Abraham, through this promise to Abraham, I'm going to free you to worship me. This place was not just about the physical land that they were standing on. The promise of God was for his people to dwell with him. The temple that supposedly Stephen was tearing down was not, that wasn't the end all. The temple simply pointed to Jesus. The temple pointed to God's presence and God dwelling with his people. When we talk about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming in the tongues of fire, what happened? God descended again after they had killed Jesus and he had rose from the grave and he went to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit, tongues of fire come and rest upon them. God is dwelling with his people. There's this continual theme of God drawing near to his people. Look at verses 2, 9, 23, 30, and 34. I know you wrote all of those down very quickly. Look at verse 2 in the words that Stephen uses. And Stephen said, the glory of God appeared. There's this dwelling language that is used there. Verse 9, and the patriarchs, he skips over after Abraham. He goes on throughout their history, their line to Joseph. Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. There's this presence, this drawing near. Verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 23, he then, this in summary could be the theme of this section. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Here he's now addressing and speaking about Moses. Abraham, Joseph, and then Moses, he sends, God sends now to be with his people, to visit his people. Verse 30, now in 40 years had passed, this is again speaking of Moses, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness in a flame in the fire of a bush. God came close to Moses. And finally in 34, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. This is God speaking to Moses. Surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. I have come down. I have come to be with them. God will draw near to his people. This is one of the promises of God. And as Stephen gives us this survey, gives them the survey of their entire history as a people, he's saying, do you see this? Over and over and over again, God promised to draw near, to dwell with his people. And what did you do with that? You missed it. Every time, over and over again, you rejected God's drawing near. Look what he says in verse 25. Here God is speaking, or Stephen is speaking about Moses and the rejection of the people, these forefathers of his. In verse 25 he says, he supposed that his brother, that Moses, that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. 
Moses as an emissary for God was being sent to bring them salvation. But what does it say at the end? They did not understand. They missed that Moses was the one sent by God to draw near to his people and to bring them salvation. When he then leads them out of Egypt and does all that he does, notice what they say of him in verse 34. Again, he says, I've seen the affliction. I've come down to deliver them. And they miss it. Verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected. And they say to him, who made you a ruler and judge over us? God's people Although he is drawing near to them, they reject him. The reality of this, what Stephen is alluding to, what he is highlighting for these original hearers of this argument that he's making is, too often, God, people don't want to be near with God. People don't want to have relationship with God. What ultimately we want in our lives is to be God ourselves. We reject the reality that God has drawn near to us and has drawn us close to him and that we can have relationship with him through Christ. We would much rather find ourselves being the God of our own lives, being able to dictate and have authority over ourselves. This is what happened for these people that Stephen is looking at and addressing the forefathers. They had missed all of the testimony of their history, all of the work that God had been doing in their life. They missed it. And ultimately, it's because they wanted to be God. So often, this is true of us today. If we fast forward to the New Testament in Romans 1, Paul says to those that they pursued all of the sins, these small g, these lesser gods of their life, and God ultimately gives them over to their sin. We don't want to be with God. We want to be God. And friends, this is a very dangerous place to be. A very dangerous place to be. When God, as he says here, And as Paul says and speaks of him in Romans 1, gives us over to our sin when we desire our sin more than following God, more than relationship and presence with God. And God removes his grace and says, okay, I'll no no longer hold you back, which is his grace to us, to hold us back from our sin and gives us over to it. It's a destructive work. So Stephen did not tear down Moses or tear down the law or speak blasphemous words against God. But what he showed them was how God had promised and delivered on those promises over and over and over again. And yet over and over again, they rejected him. They also accused him of tearing down the temple. Well, the other after Moses, the next thing that God alludes to or or, or Stephen alludes to is the temple itself, this physical place of dwelling and meeting with God. And he quotes the great prophets when he says, heaven is my, God says to us, his people, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? What kind of place or what is the place of my rest? Do not make, do not my hand make all these things? Did not? God says through the prophets and Stephen illuminates this further. Even the temple was not the end of the story. The temple simply pointed to Jesus. Jesus coming to dwell with us. And then as he departed, filling us with his spirit. God dwelling with us. Well, they hear this long attack by Stephen. And he summarizes it this way in verse 51. And I've got to hurry up. You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. 
Which of the prophets, which of all of these people that I have testified to, and even the ones that I didn't mention that you know that our forefathers rejected, which of them did they listen to? No, they didn't listen to them. And ultimately, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered yourself. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so he summarizes his entire argument by saying this. Every single thing that you know about your history pointed to the Messiah and pointed to Jesus being that Messiah, God coming to dwell with us. And every single time you know that our forefathers received the promise, God delivered upon those promises to us, and over and over again, they rejected him. And guess what? It's happened to you. You too have rejected the word of God, the testimony of God, all that God has done over and over and over again. Well, as I try to close up, how do we respond? Why does this matter to all of us? What, what, what is the purpose of this text? Why did Luke and why did God's word preserve this story for us? Well, in a sense, it's a warning, but it's also an encouragement. Just like these people that Stephen is addressing, they're addressing him and they're accusing him of things because they've made for themselves their own idea of who God is. They're not worshiping the God of the Bible that they know. They're worshiping the God that they have created. And I don't have time this morning to list all of the sins and all of the small g gods that we have created. But I promise you, if I had the time to list all of the little gods that we have created for ourselves, every single one of us would feel somewhat of an offensive, oh, he said that, oh, he got that one too. Oh, it would hit all of us. One way or another, we're all gonna find ourselves in this situation where we too have made these lesser gods, these small gods, and tried to create them and put them in a place that they don't belong. And Stephen His word is, you have missed what Jesus has done. You have missed that God has come to dwell with you and he's filled you with his spirit. Christians, we should be a people. When the mob comes, when there's attacks, when there's, again, we see all the culture around us and we see it within our own hearts. We don't say to ourselves, we don't start pointing the finger. We look at that. We respond with wisdom and we respond with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it was said of Stephen. Look again at verse 10. Of chapter 6. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You want to know how we respond when we see a world decaying and choosing to worship all of the lesser gods that it can create? We respond as people who speak and live with wisdom and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We speak with wisdom. Wisdom comes from knowing God. And we can know God, as the great J.I. Packer illuminated an entire book. If you've never read Knowing God, I encourage you to do that. We can know him and we can speak with wisdom when we know him. What promoted allowed Stephen to speak with the conviction that he spoke with and with the clarity and addressing all of the idols so specifically that were coming against him because he knew God. But he also knew the grace of Christ that met all of those failures. We too have received the grace of Christ. The great theologians, the Lumineers once said, it's a long road to wisdom, but a short one to being ignored. The Lumineers, I have no idea about their faith, but that's true. It's a long road to wisdom, but a short one to being ignored. Christians, we are being ignored because we have forgotten to speak to the world with wisdom. 
with the truth of God's word and with grace and we are not filled with his power. We were relying on our own power and our own strength fighting for the small gods that we too are worshiping and not worshiping the one true God. That's what has happened. If we wanna respond to the world around us, as we wanna respond to the own sinfulness that resides in our own heart, know God, pursue him, be a man like Stephen. Be someone filled with grace and power. Sam's gonna come up and we're gonna respond by singing words that, a song that describe being able to live our lives with this type of grace and power. And the beauty is, is it all comes from knowing Christ, from knowing Jesus. Stephen was full of grace and power, doing great wonders among the people, as it said in verse eight. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke because he knew Jesus. He knew the grace that he had received and he knew the grace that was available to them who would hear him. As we sing this song, I wanna encourage you to think about the end of Stephen's life. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised people who resist the power of the Holy Spirit, when they heard that against them, when they heard and they saw their own sinfulness, it says they ground their teeth at him. That's an anger that is rarely described in scripture, friends. It's a violent, visceral anger and hatred towards him. Because he had pointed, he, the word of God, ultimately, not him, the word of God, like a double-edged sword that it is, got right to the heart of the matter. Let me show you your sinfulness. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Kill me if you will. I know that man. I know where I'm going. The face of an angel, not angry, not violent, not critical, not full of hate, not grinding his teeth back at them. He simply looks to Jesus, says, I know him and he's going to receive me because that's what he does. That's what he does for every single one of us who put our faith in him. Why could he speak with grace and power? Because he knew Jesus and he could withstand being stoned to death and God would use his death to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. When we meet Stephen, Brother James, go give him a big hug because you're sitting where you are today because Stephen laid down his life for the sake of Jesus' fame, not for his fame, for the sake of Jesus' fame. And this church and every church in the world is the recipients of the scattering of the people to go tell of Jesus's fame, to tell the story of what Jesus had done. So we're here because of what Stephen did on that day. What an amazing fact. Let's stand, let's sing about this great Jesus.
Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.